G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 44 of a Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. And today I'm pleased to introduce Jess from Shropshire in England, who is the mum of Felicity, who is nearly four year old, who was born with IARM. So welcome to the podcast, Jess. Hi, Greg. Hi. You're in Portugal at the moment. Yeah, I am. Yeah, it's nice and warm this morning. Okay, Jess, let's talk about your story with Felicity. So when Felicity was born, she wasn't diagnosed for the first six days. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, so we had her on the 11th of March, and then we took her home the next day. So we took her home the 12th of March. And from then, she just wasn't... She wasn't right. Something wasn't right. She was, she didn't drink much milk. I was breastfeeding, but I was pumping and she wouldn't even feed from me. She wouldn't feed from a bottle. And we, we spent days and she was really tanned. One thing we always used to sort of joke about was how tanned she was because myself and my husband are really pale and her stomach was distended. And then by day six, we'd woken up in the morning and she'd been sick. But it wasn't like normal baby sick. It was like green. And we panicked then. And I rang. And I'd rung over the six days. And I said, there's something not right. There's something not right. And they said, you're a new mum. You can be really anxious. She's breastfed. Sometimes they don't poo for days. <laughs> like, it's quite normal. And by day six, when she threw up, we were like, absolutely not. And we rang. And I said, I'm bringing her. I'm bringing her to the hospital. Can you can you please look at her? Had she had a dirty nappy up until then? So she had her meconium and then nothing apart from teeny tiny skid marks. Like you'd wiped her bum with the nappy, teeny tiny skid marks. And she basically she'd had the tiniest exit, like a pin prick. And that's how the meconium came out. And then because it was so small, it nothing followed. Nothing came out after that. So yeah. what happened when you took her to the back to the hospital on the sixth day? Well, the midwives, she hadn't eaten at all for 15 hours and her stomach was rock solid. So the midwives were like, just try and feed her while you're here so we can see your technique. I think they were worried that maybe I wasn't feeding her right. And my husband just went, this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I don't think she she has a, she has a bum hole. And I looked at him and I said, you're an idiot. <laughs> how can you how can you say that to the midwife? How? <laughs> you're an idiot. And she, she led her down on the bed, opened her nappy and had a look and looked at us, looked back down at Felicity, closed her nappy and walked off. And really? we were waiting for 40, 45 minutes. We were sat there. And then all of a sudden, all these people came into the room and they were like, yeah, we're going to have to take you to Southampton Hospital because they initially thought she had a dilated bowel. And that was what they told us. I don't know whether they told us that more to calm us and soften the blow a little, but I don't know why, because it would have meant surgery anyway, I believe. So, And then it went from there. It was just a blur then. It was just... We went from one room to another. Felicity was put into an incubator. She had to, they had to pump her 
her stomach to stop the distending and all sorts. And the signal at the hospital was awful, <laughs> absolutely awful. And I'm trying to ring my mother, ring my aunt, ring my nan, anybody just to be like, can somebody come and and be with us? And nobody was answering because there was no signal. <laughs> Did she get taken to the other hospital by ambulance? So my husband drove with his father and his mother to the hospital in their car and I went in the ambulance with her. They put her in one of those little baby incubators. Right. Because she was really poorly, she was on the verge of sepsis because she'd had all this just sitting inside her. So, yeah, they drove us to the Southampton Hospital, which, honest to God, is all the nurses and the surgeon there, Dr. Ron, he is incredible. And the moment we got there, he completely, like, calmed us. He completely gave us all the information that we we needed. But, yeah, I think it's about, what, a 40-minute drive? So we were in the ambulance for about 40 minutes. So once you got there, the surgeon you were just talking about, did they tell you about imperforate anus and erectile malformation at that stage or they still weren't uh, sure? So he basically, they, they put us in a room, like a little family room, and, and sort of, again, left us there. And we were just sort of sat around waiting. We didn't know what was happening. And then Dr. Ron came in and he sat us down and he told us that this is what I believe your daughter has. I believe she's got ARM and he actually drew us a diagram and that is one of the things that really helped me come to terms with it was this just this little pen-drawn pen diagram um, right. of where everything should have been and where Felicity had it and he said any questions you have anything you need up until whenever basically just ask me so we were there I think we were there five days did she have the colostomy surgery straight away? Yeah, right then. So she they she had it at 9pm that night on the 18th of March. And then she was in for five days, I think. And they taught us how to change her bag, how to keep it clean, how to look after her. Because that's one thing is, is bringing home a newborn baby, learning how to dress and feed and change dirty nappies then adding on a bag on top of that that was scary <laughs> yep well i'd imagine family and friends and all that would have at that stage would have been very concerned how did you explain the condition to them i drew the diagram oh really anybody i tried to explain it to just drew the diagram over and over and over again. My grandparents obviously live out here in Portugal, but luckily they were in England, so it was easier. I can't imagine of having to explain to them when they weren't here in the country. Yeah, I just do, drew the diagram. I explained and I said, look, she's she's going to be different. She's going to have a bag and we don't know what the outlook is. We don't know sort of whether she's going to have this bag forever, whether they're going to be able to do the surgeries and whatnot. And we just were like, we're just going to have to take this as as it comes. But she's alive and that's all that mattered at that point, I think. Yeah. And how did you handle doing the bag when you first 
took her home from hospital. Oh, my God. I was petrified because she was so wiggly. All of her little limbs and everything used to fly everywhere. And we used to do it, both of us. But then my husband is is was military. So he it, he went away, actually. she was. We were home two weeks. And he went away and I had to do it all by myself. Oh, dear me, that would have been very difficult. Uh, yeah, but I the, the first night, I think she woke me up at 4am and I could hear her and I thought, God, no, please tell me it's just milk and not the bag. And it was, it was the bag, but I did it. And I was like, I did this. And I messaged all my family and I said, I've done it all on my own. I did it. And you just don't think how big of a an achievement that is. You don't go like screaming from the rooftops the first time you change a pooey nappy, but uh-huh. we did obviously when she first ever did the pooey nappy, we did. But normally you don't. But I was just like, uh, I've done it. <laughs> I did it. I changed a nappy, a, a bag all by myself. And that gave you yeah. the confidence that everything could be all right changing? Yeah. And I that from then on, it, it was hard. Her skin would get sore, the bag had come off, this bag then wouldn't attach to her skin. We had the wrong bags. We There was a lot of trial and error. There were some days that we spent, we were like, "This, how are we going to, if this is what it's going to be like, how are we going to do it? But it was a lot of trial and error and we got by. We got by. She, Until she started crawling, we had a really good really good system in and then she started crawling and we were like this doesn't work now you're mobile so (laughs) we changed things and and it got much better yeah yeah I know you've mentioned that you had a lot of anxiety about going out getting into situations where you'd have to change it etc yeah that was it was hot I don't think I took her anywhere for ages I took her to a mum and baby group the once and I remember there was a woman in the cubicle, like outside the cubicle, not in the cubicle with me, but in the toilet. And I remember her knocking on the door and being like, are you going to do anything for that baby crying? And I thought I was changing her bag. So there was not a lot I could do. She was going to cry. We just had to, she cried and we had to power through it. We had to get through it and then soothe her afterwards. Because no matter what you did, even if you soothed her and then tried to do the bag, it just didn't work. So we just had to power through it. And I remember thinking, even if my child didn't have a stoma bag and was crying like that, I would have been mortified. I never said anything. I finished doing our bag. I left and I never, ever took Felicity to another baby group on my own, ever. Really? And that Because yeah, of that one experience? Yeah, and that once she had her bag, once she had her stoma reversal, then then I did because I had my son at that point as well. I just couldn't. The anxiety over it was just, and I never minded talking to people about her. I never minded because I wanted people to know that this could happen. Yeah, this could happen, and if you feel like something is wrong, you tell somebody. You go. Because if I hadn't on that sixth day demanded and taken her, it, our outcome could be different. So I never minded people asking me, but it was just that one time. Um, it was really hard. It was really hard. I used to take her to the shops and I'd be fine, but I would be anxious. 
the whole time, walking around the shop worrying that a bag would go. But once we got it down, it was a lot easier, I think. I think to know when to go out. Does that make sense? When to time it well? <laughs> yeah. I know you've mentioned that the online support groups, the one in 5,000 group and all that, really helped you at that stage? Yes. I didn't Google anything until Felicity had her piece up. Nothing at all. We just went along in peaceful bliss with her stoma bag. And I thought, I just read whatever the doctor had given me and wherever the doctor had signposted me to. I didn't look anywhere because I was so worried to Google anything. And then when she had her piece up, I thought, I need to find... And she was three months when she had it. She was three months when she had her piece up. And I thought, I need to find some people. I need to find some some support or something. And I was Googling for days. I was just Googling and reading up and somehow fell across the one in 5,000 page and the IA Friends page. I come across those pages and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, there's people in here that understand what I'm going through. And I think I posted quite a lot in the early days. I think I asked questions and any questions people had that I might know the answer to. And it really gave like a community, like a sense of community for me. And it sounds like I, and, uh, at that stage you were ready to learn more. Yeah, because I ch- I'm one of the people, I'm one of these people that like information. If I know something, I, if I don't know something, I want to find out about it. I want to find out the information. I want to find out what's going on. But I think it took me a while with this because it was so scary. We didn't know what the outcomes would be. So yeah, I, I Googled in fact, and I, a lot of my family were like, I still don't, still don't understand like the ins and outs of it all how it's going to work and how we're going to go forwards so a lot of the googling was to find information that was easy to pass on to them that was easy to show them and my friends so I was in a baby group there are about seven of us and we'd all been pregnant at the same time and everybody was really close but I was a little bit distant because my baby was a little bit harder than everybody else's at that stage. That, And I remember, well, not harder because every baby's different, aren't they? And I remember finding all this information to send to them so that they could un- understand, like, this is what's gone on with Felicity. I might find some days harder, but this is how we, how we get through our day. <laughs> oh, no, that's wonderful. And when you had the piece up, did you have to do the dilations after that yeah so she had the piece up and then I think it was six weeks later we started doing the dilations and we started at two millimeters and initially we were told it would be a few months but it ended up she had her piece up in the June and we were dilating from the June and she didn't have her operation until the March, the following year. So were you doing the yeah. dilations for the whole time or did you could stop it? Yeah. Yeah, so we were doing them for the whole time. But instead of them being every day, 
I think they went down to every other day and then sort of every three days towards the end just because it wasn't needed to be as much but we didn't have the place for the operation yeah so it sort of slowed down Um, and we were really lucky actually because she had her operation the week before lockdown she not have had that that week we would have been waiting even longer I think how did you handle the dilations I was not very good at them I was not yeah I was not very good at all I think 90% of them my husband did if he was away I would have to ask I remember the once my driving instructor who was a really good friend of mine right and I, I text her and I said, are you around? Are you about? <laughs> and she's gone, yeah, what's up? And I was like, could you, well, could you just come and hold Felicity's legs for me so that I can, so that I can do her dilations? And she did not bat an eyelid. I think in the military community, you ask anything and they will come, if that makes sense. I think yeah. that I could have, I could have asked them to come in, come in paint a table and they'd have been like yep I'll be there I'll be there to help you so she came and she hold held her legs and I think it took me twice as long as it just did Sean because I was so nervous but I did it it was just the one thing I didn't like doing because she didn't like it either I don't think I don't think you will ever find a, pa- pa- a parent who would have enjoyed doing them unfortunately no no, exactly, exactly. And I think a lot of parents, I command a lot of parents who who did it, who did just do it. And I expect there were more times that I did it, but I feel like that in our journey, I sort of blanked out a lot of it because for me, it was really hard. That part was, I think, the hardest, I think, for me. And how did she go after she had the closure? Did you have any issue with the skin rashes through the opening etc some days absolutely fine some days we had absolutely no worry other days it was awful we used a stuff called ilex paste yes definitely heard that yeah and (laughs) it is the most awful stuff you will ever use it works it works so amazing but it, it is sticky and tacky and turns into little balls in this oh it was an interesting part of our journey I think we used to laugh I think that's one of the things that ever got us through it was just laughing because it would just roll into little tiny balls and it would do its job but you just think oh my god and her bottom her bottom used to bleed and blister it still does now actually if if she has sat with anything too long like 10-15 minutes it will still it can still react a little bit. She still gets nappy rash, even though she's not in a nappy. How did you go when if you when you had to put Felicity into childcare? Like after you've had you've had the surgeries and she's just yeah going along now, and you get to the stage where what at what age did she go into childcare? She was. It was just after her reversal, so she'd had her reversal. Actually, it was after the first lockdown, before the second. Right. In that time, in that time frame, I think it was maybe the June. Um, It was just before my son came. I put her in with a childminder initially because the childminder was just down the road and I thought if anything goes wrong, 
I can just run down that road. Heavily pregnant, but I could I could run. And she was incredible. Her first child, mind it. If I ever had any worries, if she ever had any worries, she was just amazing. And I explained everything to her. And I said, look, she might struggle with going to the toilet. She might get a really sore bum. She, but she, we never had any issues. She was so amazing. She kept her so clean and tidy and everything. I couldn't thank her enough for how she was with with her when she was first obviously she was still learning how to go for a poo in a nappy and we were still learning how to deal with it and for her child mind to join us on that journey and be so supportive that was amazing that's wonderful yeah but then my son came and she didn't have enough space for the both of them and my son is a is a riot (laughs) so we found another childcare setting and I found it harder the second time around explaining because, and there were a few times where she might have been left in her nappy a little bit too long, but not to normal standards, but because she had such a sensitive bottom. Yes. So it, it was that the second setting was a bit harder to to get to grips with it. But she also ended up potty training whilst at that second setting. And how did you cope with having two little ones within 15 months of each other? Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I still don't know how how we cope. Because I was 20 weeks pregnant when Felicity had her reversal. So I then had Felix in the July. And then my husband was away for the for eight the best part of eight months out of the year, so it was crazy. It was absolutely <laughs> mental. I um, can't even and, imagine. Yeah, yeah, you had to have eyes in in all places and arms and legs and flailing around trying to catch two children running in different directions. It's fun. It is fun, and they are the best of friends. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Now, you mentioned about the potty training. So how did she go with that and how is she going now? She started using the toilet to wee just on her own. She just really? one day, she was like, I'm going to go for a wee wee. And we were like, okay, okay, you do that. But she was still in nappies because we hadn't quite got the the right bowel management in place. So she could have actually been potty trained probably about six or seven months prior to when she actually was because she was going for a wee on the toilet or on the potty if we left the potty out. And then just one day we just got the knack of her bowel management and she had a suppository in the morning and then she wouldn't go all day at all, all day. One suppository in the morning and then sometimes center in the evening. Right. And then she wouldn't go all day. So we were like, look, this is prime opportunity to get her in a pair of pants. Because she wants to wear pants. We want her to wear pants. She's going for a wee on the potty. Why not? And we just did it. And I think it was. It felt like overnight she just was in pants going to nursery. We did find if she was having a bad couple of days with her 
maybe she'd eaten something that was maybe a little bit too full of fiber she would get a bit of overflow so we actually popped panty liners in her pants which i believe i found the information from the either the one in five thousand group or the ia friends that was that was one of the ideas from one of the mums in there which was incredible it completely saved star washing if i'm honest and then all of a sudden one night as well she just went mummy I'm going to make a big girl decision and I want to wear pants to bed and I was like oh. <laughs> I'm crying I was like okay <laughs> okay and it just by chance happened to be a night that my husband wasn't there either again um <laughs> and I was like oh no <laughs> I've just agreed to this and this could go terribly wrong it didn't and she had about two wet nights I think and now she's completely nappy free apart from sometimes if she has a suppository and she's struggling she'll ask to pop a nappy on we are very lucky (laughs) so what's her bowel management at the moment like what do you what does she have each day so each day if we go so every day every day without fail she will have one suppository in the morning. Does she tolerate that okay? Yeah, sometimes she has to do it herself. Really? Sometimes, yeah. And we have always, we have never, ever, ever said no because we want her to have a very good relationship with whatever bowel management she has. Right. So, and if she says no, we don't say you have to. If she says no, she doesn't want her suppository, we wait and then we say, come on. And then if she says no again, we try again. It, it It's a little bit of a, a back and forth some days, but we will never, ever sort of force her to have it because we want her to have a very positive relationship with it because this is something she might have to do for the rest of her life. To me, that's incredible. Uh, a little girl, three-year-old, nearly four, and she's actually give, giving herself her suppository. Like, that's just amazing, Jess. Yeah, I think she's very grown up as well. She's very, I think, having a younger sibling, she's I, she's 15 in that head of hers, definitely, by the attitude as well. But, yeah, she'll go, I, I do my suppository, Mummy. And she, she needs a little bit of help to obviously get it all the way, but... She does it and she'll lay there and she'll she'll be like, I did it, mummy. And you're like, yay. <laughs> so she has that one every morning without fail. And then every now and again, she needs a bit of senna in the evening or Movical, dependent upon which way she's going, whether she's blocked up or leaking a bit too much. And that tends to be it. Apart from sometimes she may need one more than one suppository, but we gauge that on how much she goes. Uh, well, you mentioned about leakage. Does she soil much? Every now and again. So she goes through phases. She'll go through maybe two weeks where she doesn't soil at all. She has amazing days, completely dry pants, completely just nothing. And then we'll go through maybe a week where she has a little bit of, of overflow of leakage or there can be days where she does go because we are unsure on the sensation that she has right because sometimes i don't know whether this is too graphic but sometimes if it's right there she knows if it's right there and big enough she knows it's there she knows 
that she needs to go. Whereas if it's not, or it's too small, or maybe it's a softer bowel movement, we don't think she's quite aware that it's there. It, it just all depends as well on what she's eaten. We tend to try and make sure that whatever she eats makes her stool it a little bit harder rather than still having soft poos because we found that she knows how how to pass a, a poo. <laughs> I talk so openly about poo and I can see people looking at me going, oh, yeah. And I'm like, it's poo. It's poo. We all do it. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> I know that you mentioned the the book has helped you as well, the Rare and Resilient 1 in 5,000 Anthology book with you, your family. Yeah. yeah, so I think I had to stop reading it at one point because every story I read, every st- I was sobbing. I was absolutely sobbing because I just, I think back to the days where what we first felt and what we first thought about and and the emotions that we were going through and I just I like I felt what those parents were feeling like reading the pages and reading the words that they had in there I felt what they were were saying and also it gave me an idea of where we could be because at that point I don't think Felicity was potty trained and it, some of the stories gave us hope that she would be but also it gave us information that if something ever happened and we had to change something or she had to go back to having a stoma or an, an ace there's stories in there of children that have that and 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 cope and deal with it and are, and are independent and that is one thing that I think a lot of parents struggle with is worrying about the independence of their children as they grow up and how confident those children will be in in managing their own life and their own bowels. Well, she's already managing her own bowels, isn't she, really? Yeah, yeah exactly. And and uh, But when I read the book, I, she hadn't. She hadn't. She wasn't. And I thought, will she ever be? Will Will we go, not backwards, but will things change? Will we have to do something different? So, yeah, I think the book was just, and you saw faces of people. Yes. And and you saw faces of the children and the adults that had had it. And it was just, it was genuinely an incredible read. But I did have to stop a couple of times because I think I would have flooded my kitchen with tears. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, that, that's it was great. amazing. And and that's why that's why I did it, and we I got all those stories because a lot of it is the hope. And as as much as the stories are very scary in some situations, especially the adult ones, but yeah, for a new mum with a little girl, you know, it showed that you can get through. Yeah, exactly. It showed that there was more to whatever, because I think at some points with. I think with any children, any child that's not well, whether it be like our like like my child, like like that, or whether it's a completely different illness and, and or or disability or whatever they've got, you can get yourself in a bit of a funk. You can sort of sit there and go, This is never gonna end. Like I'm gonna feel like this. And I expect you felt it as well in your life you go this is never going to end I'm always going to feel this way 
I'm always going to be in this in this down part of my life. Whereas reading the book and and speaking to other parents, you just think actually there is a light. There is something that that can be done, and 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 there is another step forward. There's not we're not constantly stuck in this position. Something good will come of this. And that's where I can only talk about myself having lived it. I suppose, yeah. but. And this will be the same with Felicity and all our other kids. We don't know any different. No. Right? So for us, this is our normal. Yeah. There's nothing nothing different for you. We don't know what it's like to have just the standard functioning bowel or have to worry about getting constipated or having diarrhea, et cetera. That's, That's part of our lives. To think that a little three-year-old is giving herself a suppository, a suppository, like it's just mind-blowing. It'd be mind-blowing to yeah. so many people. Yeah, she, she is just the most amazing child. Like I could never explain to anybody how incredible she is, and everything she's been through, she could just be like, Ugh, whatever. Like I know she's three, but. To me, she is like an adult. The way she speaks, the way she talks, the way she is, she communicates. And she could just be like, no, no, I don't want to do this. No, I'm done. I'm fed up. Whereas she just takes everything. I think one thing that we, having children with what, with a with an illness or with, with a, a, a difference, having different children, I see the difference in my daughter and my son and especially the way I am as well. With my daughter, I feel like the world could throw anything at her. Yes. And she would be absolutely fine. She falls over and I'm like, she's all right, she's all right, she's okay. Yeah, she's fine. My son falls over and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? Is anything broken? And people are like, how are you so different with them? And I'm like, because I know she has taken on the world and she has she has won, she has conquered. Whereas my son... He has never had to go through any of that. So he is, I'm like, oh, my God, no, you can't touch him. He'll break. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we just forget how strong they actually are. Children are just, like you say, resilient. They are. In July last year, I was fortunate enough to travel to England to go to the get-together that we had. Yeah, and, that was amazing. And yeah. you and you and Felicity was there, and I was fortunate enough to get a photo with her. And um, so yeah, you how, were, yeah. How did that day affect you and her meeting other parents um, and other kids? I think because I drove quite away. I think I think it was about two hours for me. And I so I suffer with anxiety anyway. Anxiety is something that I suffer with. Always have. Always will, I think. And I was so anxious going there because I thought, I always think that we're quite lucky with Felicity. One of the things we will say is we are lucky that all she had was this one issue. Right. And we are where we are. I say we're quite lucky. And I always, I was so anxious to go because I thought some of the children there are going to be, are going to be different from Felicity. Are going to be, some of the parents probably going to think, oh my god like this child's potty trained like she's fine but obviously that is not the case and no not at all 
just hearing people's stories and I think it changed my outlook on I obviously am in the groups and I obviously see messages and posts all the time in these groups and I know there are other parents out there but when you physically see them all in one room you're actually like this community is so big and so supportive because until that day Felicity had never met another child with what she had and even just to be able to say that she has met other children and she might not have been aware that any of those children were anything like her. No, that's right. But just to be able to say, you've been in a room full of these children and these people that have been through what you have been through and they know is just, that, for me, was amazing. That no, was incredible. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do to get <laughs> try not together. to cry. Then <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all right. You're allowed to cry. I've had a many, <laughs> many. I've had many people cry on this for some reason. <laughs> I think it's because it's emotional, isn't it? I think you just remembering those feelings are uh, quite because it is a, a stressful time in your life and it is an emotional time. And I think remembering those is can be quite emotional. I think. Yeah. Now, what would be your advice to a parent who's just starting their journey? I think I think I would give two bits of advice. I think be kind to yourself because it is going to be hard and you are going to go through times where you don't think that you or your child are going to get through this, but you can you just need to be kind to yourself and like you can be negative but just make sure you are taking that time to check in with yourself and your own well-being and talk to people talk talk about it because I know so many people that don't talk about it and they have I've spoken to a couple of people whose family have children with IA or ARM and they don't tell anybody and the family member is like they're lonely they don't have the answers to these questions and stuff like that and I'm like just talk I know you might not be the type of person that talks to anybody but just talk or find a a support group or something because the support that I've got from any of those support groups are way above and beyond anything any of the stoma nurses or doctors could have given me because not only is it medical and we we all know that that this is a a medical issue the emotional support from any of those groups are above and beyond anything I hope that makes sense yeah uh, (laughs) there's no right or wrong answer it's just what your answer is Jess yeah yeah I just think the, the, the emotional support for parents who are going through something like this is is a, you need it. Ah, oh, that's that's very good advice. With your son, you know, you got pregnant not very not very long after Felicity was born. How did you cope with? Did you have the anxiety whether your son might be born with IA ARM? Yeah, most definitely. Initially, I didn't because a lot of the questions in the group where people had asked about it, 
a lot of people have said there's absolutely no chance like it it's not genetic it there's no chance but when I then spoke with our surgeon he said that actually the chance is one in 200 yes that's that correct you could have yeah that you could have a child with with the same condition and I was 20 weeks pregnant then and I thought well there's no going back now is there <laughs> we, <laughs> we oh, I'm very pregnant now thank you thank you for that information but we always thought if he did because we didn't know what he was either. We we didn't find out the sex either because we thought Felicity was such a shock. Anything that came with her was such a shock that why, let's just leave it as a surprise. And when he came, I remember he was was born and he had actually gone to the toilet as he was born. Oh, really? And the nurses were all really worried, whereas me and my husband, we were like, he's pooed and they were like no that's not good and I'm like yes it is <laughs> great it's great news and the anxiety did take over a lot of my pregnancy but the one thing that did get me through is if he did have what she had we've done it once before yeah what we've a, done it once before and and had no idea we had no idea whereas now if we have him and he has it we've done this before We've done it before. Absolutely fine. No worries. But it was it was anxiety inducing the whole pregnancy and, and the labour and everything. But the one thing you do have to think is you've done it. You've done it before. So why can't you do it again? And if you want that second child, just do it because you can never regret having a child. Do you know what I mean? You can't ever regret that, but you could regret not having one just because of what happened. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. And I think it's really important to talk about it because there's so many parents out there that, that have those anxieties. Yeah. And there's so many parents that wouldn't go on to have a second child just because of the fear. And I know that fear. I know what that feels like, but I can assure you, even if it did happen, you've got through it once you can get through it again. It's Yeah, no, that's wonderful, Jess. That's wonderful. So, Jess, thanks very much for sharing your journey with Felicity. It's really been wonderful, and you've covered so many important topics that I know that will resonate with so many parents and also give hope to new parents that are starting their journey. So, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, Jess. Bye-bye. Thanks.